My name is Greg. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilden Hills Church. Been gone for a couple of weeks. Shelly and I were uh, in Hungary, and um, they had a conference there um, by these radical missionaries called Christian Associates International, and they invited me to be a conference speaker there. And so we went, and this is, we had so much fun. These folks are just so out of the box. I mean, they're just wild. Uh, they're evangelizing, uh, bringing the gospel to Europe, which is a, a real challenge. And uh, you don't do church as usual over there. I mean, you invite people to church, and they're just not going to know what you're talking about. So you bring the church to the people. And where the people are hanging out is a lot of times pubs and places like that. So they bring the church to the pub, and they have all this creative evangelism. They play these, in these bands, and then they invite people to talk afterwards. And it's just beautiful. And these folks love Jesus and party hardy, and, and they just have a good time. So I fit right in. It was, they're, they're crazy, and I felt really at home. So it was a good time. But it's always good to be back. Thanks to Annie and Dwayne for uh, filling in the last couple of weeks. Appreciate the word that they brought. Amen. We are studying the book of Luke this decade, and we are up to chapter 13. And we're uh, now on verse 10. And I want to entitle this message, Speaking the Kingdom. Uh, it is a message that I am aware is going to, for some of you who come from certain backgrounds, I'm going to conf probably confront some triggers uh, that uh, maybe will get activated, that might make you disturbed, that might make you want to throw your rotten eggs and tomatoes at me if you brought those with you, and I'm going to encourage you not to do that. Hear me out, hear me out, and I, I hope you'll get a, a balanced, I think you'll get a balanced a version of this teaching which has been so distorted in some circles, and those of you who came from that, those backgrounds are, are going to have to work to hear this in a balanced way. But it's called Speaking the Kingdom. Uh, there's three verses I want to speak on, verses 10 through 13. On the Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are free. You're set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Pray with me here just for a moment. Father, uh, we ask that you infuse this word with your authority which is the only authority that can build your kingdom and open up our minds and hearts to receive your word. I pray especially for those who have come from backgrounds where this message has been distorted and maybe they've been damaged and hurt by it. Lord, uh, help them to collapse whatever triggers they might have to receive a balanced version of this, this word. And use it, God, to help us to walk in the full anointing and authority that you have died for us to have. Revolutionize our thinking. In Jesus' name we pray and all of God's people said, amen. 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 Let me start with a, a, just a word that will be background to most folks if you've been here for any length of time, but it's important to set up the point I want to make here this morning. Um, we know that from Scripture, that this, uh, from this passage as well as from the whole of Scripture, that um, when Jesus confronted sickness, illnesses, diseases, and things of that sort, the, the commentators, the gospel authors, or Jesus himself identified it as having its origin uh, in Satan's regime. This woman was bent over by a spirit. In fact, later on in the passage, we'll get to it later on, uh, it says that, that Jesus says that she was uh, uh, afflicted by Satan. 
for these 18 years. A lot of people today identify everything that happens, good or bad, as coming from God. But the Bible, the New Testament especially, doesn't have that perspective. Uh, Things like the the infirmities that Jesus was confronting here, diseases, uh, disasters, and things of those sorts, are, are, are identified as ultimately having their origin in the kingdom of darkness. It's not that there's a particular demon behind every illness or anything like that, but ultimately it's because this world is being oppressed by Satan and the powers that fell with him. What we learn from Scripture is that we were originally created to have authority over everything on earth. We're to have dominion and authority over the earth and the animal kingdom. When we rebelled against God, we surrendered that authority over to Satan, which is why now, throughout the New Testament, Satan is called the God of this age, the principality and power of the air, and is said to control the entire world. We surrendered our authority over to him. He now reigns over this earth and he screws up everything. He does everything. Our bodies, our minds, uh, you know, our, 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 our cravings, our dispositions, our emotions, the whole of society, and even the laws of nature are to some degree polluted by this demonic influence. Nothing is quite the way it's supposed to be. Everything from natural disasters to cancer to children being stillborn to mental disorders... It's the result of the fact that we live in an oppressed, screwed up, broken apart world. The world we're in right now is not the way the world was supposed to be. Now the good news is that the world won't always be like this. The good news is that Jesus came to begin the process of reversing this whole thing and bringing back this world to the way the world was supposed to be. Now, the good news is that Jesus came, it says in, in 1 John, to, uh, he appeared to destroy the devil's works, to defeat the enemy, uh, to liberate human beings and restore them to the place of authority that we were to be, to take back this whole cosmos and make it once again the domain over which God rules, that is the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus in principle accomplished this, defeating the enemy and restoring creation. It was in principle finished on Calvary. But we live in this weird in-between stage, between V-Day, I mean between D-Day and V-Day. The victory has been won, but we don't yet see that victory totally manifested. Even this woman that Jesus healed in this passage, uh, she would go on to die. This world doesn't yet fully manifest the victory that Jesus won on Calvary. And she maybe got sick sometimes in the process as she went on to live. But this healing at this point in her life, she was bent over in a very crippled position, but Jesus straightened up her back. And what Jesus was doing there was putting on display the truth of the kingdom that is coming. Because when the kingdom comes in fullness and the kingdom is consummated on earth as it will be in heaven, there won't be any more bent over backs. Backs are meant to be straightened up. And then everything in creation will be in line with God's will. God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is why John, the Gospel of John, always calls Jesus' miracles signs. They're signs of the coming kingdom. What Jesus is doing here is he's giving uh, everybody like a a, a peekaboo, a slice of the coming kingdom and putting on display that there's coming a time when every back will be straightened up and the world will finally be the way the world was supposed to be. Our job as kingdom people, following the example of Jesus in all things, is to be a little slice of the coming kingdom. 
Our whole life is to advertise what society, what individuals, and what the world will look like as far as possible. To do that now in a world that doesn't yet acknowledge the victory that came through Jesus Christ. We're to be as a community, a people who live the way of Jesus and therefore who manifest what it looks like to live free of the oppression of the enemy. It's like we just got through singing in that song. Through Christ, the curse has been lifted off of us. Our job is to, as much as possible, put on display what it looks like to live free, what it looks like to live in the fullness of God's love, what it looks like to live in the fullness of God's joy, what it looks like not to be oppressed any longer with the affliction of the enemy. In a world that is still crooked, we're to manifest what it looks like to walk straight up. In a world that is still oppressed, screwed up, and broken apart, we're to be a community that manifests, insofar as it's possible, what it looks like to walk in freedom and in healing and in wholeness. Kingdom people, we are called and empowered to live as though the kingdom had already happened, as though the kingdom was already here. Because the truth is that the kingdom is already here. The world just doesn't acknowledge it yet. But we do, and so our job is to manifest that. And in manifesting the truth of the kingdom 24-7, we're moving the world to the direction where someday, as we sung earlier, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the earth will finally be restored to be the dome over which God reigns and everything will be in alignment with God's will. It means that whatever will be in heaven, we're to cultivate into our life now. And whatever won't be in heaven, We're to purge from our life now. We are to be a slice of heaven on earth. In our bodies, in our minds, in our hearts, in our relationships, in our lifestyles, we're to display the beauty of God's reign and revolt against the oppressed, screwed up, broken apart world. Now that that revolt and that manifestation affects every area of our life, how we live 24-7. But I want to focus on one aspect of this revolt, And it's the aspect that is really clearly displayed in the passage that we're studying here uh, this, this morning. Notice this. Jesus said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Now, you might think there's nothing very unusual about that. But just notice this. Jesus just says, You are free. He doesn't ask his father to set her free. He just announces, you are free. And then she gets free. In fact, in every one of Jesus' miracles, every one of his healings, and in fact, in every one of his deliverances, when he set people free from demonic oppression, this is how he did it. He just said, you are free. He just said, you are healed. Uh, Sometimes he spoke directly to the demon, get out of her or get out of him. He spoke the word, it was an authoritative word, it impacted and it changed the, uh, the person. It brought a slice of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, as it will be on earth fully when the kingdom has fully come. Now, why did he operate that way? And why don't we usually operate that way? Let's chew on this here. You'll find, if you, as you read the Gospels, that a number of times Jesus says, all authority has been given to me by my Father. The Father gave him the authority to heal, gave him the authority to cast out demons, gave him the authority to forgive sins. And people were always amazed by this authority. They had never seen anything like it. It says in Mark chapter 1, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this 
a new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. They were amazed at his authority. He spoke, and people were healed. He spoke, and the demons left. He didn't ask the Father to do it because the Father had given him authority to do it. And if someone gives you something, you no longer have to ask for it. It's given to you. If I give you a car, you don't have to ask me to drive it now. It's your car. So also, the Father had given authority to Jesus, and so now Jesus just had to trust that authority and use that authority in accordance with the Father's will. Now, it was in one sense still the Father's authority because it all comes from him. And so Jesus oftentimes referred to it as the Father's authority. He said, what I do, I do on my Father's authority. But it was also the case that it was his authority. And so, for example, he says in Mark chapter 2, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. It was the Father's authority, but now it was also the Son's authority. It was a shared authority because the Father had entrusted it to the Son, and now the Son was using it. And we're going to get a little theological here, so hang with me. I think it's very, very important that we understand that the authority that Jesus had been given was an authority that didn't manifest the fact that he was divine, the fact that he was God. It rather manifested the fact that he was a perfect human being. See, if the authority that he had to heal the sick and to cast out demons reflected his divinity, well, then he wouldn't need that authority to be given to him because he always had that. In fact, Philippians 2 and other places, Jesus set aside all of his own authority in order to become a human being. He laid aside, he emptied himself of all the divine prerogatives to become a human being. So when Jesus comes against sickness and disease and demonic oppression and and condemnation, he's not manifesting his divinity, he's manifesting his perfect humanity. This is what it looks like for a human being to be perfectly submitted to God. In fact, the authority that Jesus is manifesting is simply the authority that God always intended human beings to have when he gave us dominion and authority over all things. We were never supposed to be dominated by nature, which is all now screwed up and polluted and brings about cancer and all those kind of things. We were supposed to have dominion over those things. We were supposed to be the ones who are the lords of the earth under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And that is why... As Jesus comes into this world, he's restoring humanity back into the rightful place, taking back from the enemy the the authority that we had surrendered to him and giving it to its rightful owners, which is human beings. And that is why Jesus gives his disciples the same authority that he himself had. He says in Luke chapter 9, he gave them authority. Luke says that he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. In Luke chapter 10, he says, I I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. And then in John 14, look at this. He says, very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing. They're going to have that same authority and they will do even greater works or it could be even more works because there's going to be more of us than these because I'm going to the Father. He goes to the Father. He sends forth his Holy, his, the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was within him, and now we're given the same authority that he had. When we submit to Christ, we're engrafted into Christ. We become quite literally now the body of Christ, and so we share the same authority that he had. We share in his victorious, perfect humanity, and therefore we share in the authority that he had. It's the authority of God, but now flowing through us. 
which was always God's design. He always wanted to be Lord over the earth through us as his viceroys, as it were. So his love, his character, his power, his will coming down to earth as it is in heaven through us. We are the conduits of that. And so in Christ, we have the authority of God flowing through us. It's the authority that humans were always supposed to have. It's the authority to have dominion in accordance with his loving will and character. Uh, it's the authority, it's part of our inheritance as people who are now in Christ, right, rightly related to God, to one another, and to the earth. And that is why you know, Jesus gave that authority to his disciples. And so when they go about doing stuff, they do it exactly the way Jesus did. Uh, there's an episode where Peter's coming to the temple and there's this guy who's, who's disabled and, and can't walk. And in those days, the only thing you could do if you were disabled was, was to beg on the side of the street. So this guy's begging and he asked Peter, hey, hey, buddy, give me some money. And then Peter says this, silver or gold I do not have, but what, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. He does exactly what Jesus does. He's, he doesn't say, he doesn't ask God to make him walk. He, he says, what I have, I give to you. He had the authority that Christ had. Christ had the authority the Father had. And now the Father is healing the guy through Peter. Peter had been given that authority. What I have, I give to you. It was the same thing when they cast out demons. Uh, there's one episode in Acts where uh, Paul and his entourage are... are walking around proclaiming the gospel. And there's this lady who's possessed by a spirit and they're giving all, she's giving them this false advertisement. And so it says in verse 18 of Acts 16, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I love this. It wasn't that he had this compassion on this woman. He just got bothered by it. Stop it for crying out loud. He turns around and he said to the spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. He doesn't ask God to cast the demon out. He speaks to the demon and takes authority over the demon and frees this woman from her demonic oppression. The early disciples understood that they'd been given authority to speak against every manifestation of the power of the enemy because Christ had defeated the enemy and they were now in Christ. And it was the authority of God and it was the authority of Christ, so they always did it in, in, in Christ's name, but now it had been entrusted to them. Now, that doesn't mean there's some rule about not, don't ask God to do things directly. or It's not wrong to ask God to heal people or God to cast demons out of people and things of that sort. But we need to understand that when we do that, what we're doing is we're asking God to use us, the way he always intended, to be the conduit of his power and his love coming into this world. God is doing the healing, but he's doing it through you. He's doing it through me because we are his body here on earth. The restored humanity that brings about his will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that is, I know, stretching some people already. Uh, it's hitting some buzzers. I, it's just, you, you've maybe seen one too many television evangelists commanding a sickness to come out and things of that sort. So you gotta you know, you just ask the question, is this biblical or not? And uh, is this something we're to be walking in? But there's one more thing, which is even more controversial and is going to push your envelope even more. And I want to encourage you once again to not grab your rotten eggs and tomatoes until the sermon's done, then throw them. But uh, hear, hear this out. Uh, it's always important not to overreact against a wrong teaching by throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We need a balanced approach to the Word of God. According to Scripture, here's the one more thing. It's very controversial. But according to Scripture, one of the main ways 
that the authority of God is released in and through us is by our spoken word. Two people like that. (laughs) Look at it. Just stick with the word. Just stick with the word. Just stick with the Bible. Every time Jesus healed somebody and every time he delivered somebody, he spoke the word. He said it and it happened. It didn't happen until he said it. It was his spoken word that released the authority. In fact, that's what authority means. That's the difference between authority and power. We just read in in Acts 9. He says, I give you power and authority uh, to cast out demons and heal the sick. Power is a latent potential that you have. Authority is the ability to release that potential by speaking it. The centurion got this. He was a guy who was under authority. Uh, he was a Roman uh, uh, military officer who had 100 uh, soldiers under him. And there was a time when one of his servants was sick, so he sent for Jesus, and as Jesus was coming to his house, he went out to meet him, and, and it says this. this is, the centurion says, Lord, I now see that I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Because, see, I get authority. I myself am a man under authority, and I've got soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I say to that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. They don't do it until I say it, but once I say it, they do it. And now he was entrusting that Jesus had the authority to free his servant from his infirmity. And this is why Jesus always emphasized the role of speech throughout the Gospels. It's true. Matthew 17, for example, he says, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Speaking with faith moves mountains. Peter said, Rise up and walk, and the guy walked. Paul said, Demon come out of the guy or, and, and, or the gal, and the demon came out. It wasn't until they said it that it was done. There's, there, there's something about the word that releases the authority of the kingdom. Now, I know... This is really hitting some people's triggers. This is controversial. Because many folks have been taught this truth in an imbalanced way. Some focus on verses like Matthew 17, which says that if you say it, it will be done. And they've derived not a principle of living, but a magical formula. And they've concluded that if a person just has enough faith, then they can claim anything they want, and it has to happen. And you can claim wealth and you can claim health and claim prosperity and all of that, and it has to happen. God has to do it because they think they've got a formula, which then leads to the dreadful conclusion that if you said it and it didn't happen, well, it's because you don't have enough faith. So you have people who remain disabled and they're told or it's at least suggested that it's their own fault because if you just had enough faith to get out of that wheelchair. And people who remain poor and suggested that it's their own fault because if they just had enough faith, they wouldn't be poor. And, and I've seen it happen where kids are born deformed and sometimes stillborn and it's suggested or implied that it's their own fault because if they just had enough faith and if they were just claiming it, well, then it wouldn't happen. And I could give you volumes of horror stories, a few of them with fatal outcomes, of of folks who have been damaged by that formula and by that teaching. This is sometimes called the word of faith uh, teaching or the positive confession or prosperity teaching. And I want to make it clear that there are many who would go by those labels 
who are much more balanced than what I just gave, okay? So there's, there's a spectrum there, and so I don't want to just kind of whitewash the whole thing, but I want to point out some serious mistakes that that movement tends to make, allowing for those who, in fact, what I've noticed is that it seems like in the last five, ten years, there's been a, a, a kind of more of a balancing in those movements, and I thank God for that. But still, there are some who have been, who've taught the magical formula version of this teaching. And, uh, and then what happens is some of us, and I think I fall into this camp, see the damage that that does, and we can overreact and then throw the baby out with the bathwater as though there was nothing true about it. When, in fact, I'm going to suggest to you that there's four significant errors that that teaching makes, but there's one very, very, very important truth that that movement has that we all need to hold on to. So I'm going to quickly review four theological mistakes that I think this movement makes and then hammer home the one very important truth that I think this movement, this teaching uh, has. First of all, that magical formula idea that if you believe it and if you say it, it has to happen. It fails to understand and appreciate Jewish hyperbole. Now, hyperbole is simply the uh, idiom of expressing something in extreme and overstated and unqualified ways to emphasize something. I could say, I've told you a million times what hyperbole is. Well, that's a hyperbole because I haven't really told you a million times, but I say that to emphasize something, and we all understand that. We need to understand that Semitic languages, in fact, the entire uh, ancient Near East, the, the languages were prone towards hyperbole. They used exaggerated, unqualified uh, sayings to emphasize something, but no one took it literally. When, when the Bible says, raise up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's older, he'll never depart from it. Well, does that mean that we have a magical formula where if you just make sure that your kids are taught the right things, they can't possibly choose to go away from God or choose to become criminals? That they lose their free will because you raised them right? Uh, I don't think so. But what the author is saying is it's really, really important to raise up your kids right. And so to emphasize it, they state it in these exaggeratory, uh, unqualified ways. When Jesus said, say to this mountain, be moved and it will move, I really don't think he intended for us to go around changing the landscape of the planet. <laughs> Mount Everest, I want you over in, you know, in Asia right now or something. And then what if somebody who's got faith over there says, no, I want to back over where it is. And, and you got this mountain flying across the world. It becomes a major projectile. People are going to get hurt if you do that, for crying out loud. <laughs> Earth calling Greg. Come back, Greg. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Okay, so, so we got to understand hyperbole. Uh, the, 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 and that takes some of things uh, literally that were intended to be stated just for emphasis. Secondly, the teaching doesn't adequately take into consideration all of the Bible. It's really important to put everything in the context of the whole Bible. Uh, this, this teaching tends to, there are exceptions, but it tends to focus on verses like Matthew 17, which says, if you say it, it will be done. And they make that the whole truth and nothing but the truth as though the Bible doesn't have anything else to say about that. But as a matter of fact, there's a lot that the Bible has to say about that. You read the whole context of the Bible, and I get at this in my book, Is God to Blame, if, if this is an issue that you're wrestling with. There are many variables that affect what comes to pass. God's will is the most important one. Your faith and what you say is another. But there's also the free will of human beings and the free will of angels and a number of other factors that affect what comes to pass. Which is why there are principles to live by, but there are no magical formula. And, and when we simplify the world too much, we end up having formulas that damage people or end up blaming God. 
Third, this teaching tends to embrace, tends to, there are exceptions, but it tends to embrace and even Christianize Western consumer values. Uh, many of the, the teachers who espouse this focus almost exclusively at times on how to right here and right now have you know, just the, the greatest life as defined by the American dream. How to get more toys, how to get a bigger house, how to get a bigger car, how to you know, wear the nice suits and things of that sort. It focuses a lot on money. And um, the thing is this. If God blesses you, that's a wonderful thing. But Jesus very clearly and repeatedly tells us not to focus on those things. In fact, we're to die to the craving for those things as though there's any life in any of that. And, and rather than trying to find happiness by having all the toys and trinkets of this world, we're to find joy by no longer needing the toys and trinkets of the world. And we're to be living a lifestyle that doesn't crave those kind of things. If God gives them, he gives them. But the only reason he gives them is to be a blessing to other people. And so we're to be swimming against the American dream, not Christianizing it as though it was something that was intrinsically of God. Uh, and so instead of asking for a Mercedes-Benz, the main thing we ought to be asking for is a Christ-like character that finds joy in, in, in giving to others and in sacrificing for others and, and, and doesn't need the trinkets of the world to feel happy and good about ourselves. And the fourth error I submit to you is that this, this teaching in its more extreme forms often asks people to pretend. I have confronted sincere people claiming they're, they can walk when they're still in the wheelchair, claiming they can see when, in fact, uh, uh, they still have very poor eyesight. I had a friend who um, started claiming that, he could, that God had healed his eyesight and started driving without his glasses, and he almost flunked out of school and got in two car wrecks, uh, turned into a virtual Mr. Magoo, driving around blind as a bat. Uh, but he was claiming that he could see because he thought, he, he had this teaching that if I believe it enough, if I just say it enough, it's got to happen. Um, knew a guy who was paralyzed from the neck down telling me that he could still walk and that this was just a symptom of the devil and, and, and that he, he just is claiming that he can run faster than he's ever been able to run before. If it's like, okay, look, look here's reality. You're still in the bed. You're still in the chair. Now, I understand what, how folks come to that conclusion the way they read the Bible, but here's the thing. Jesus never did that. Jesus never asked us to pretend. When, when he, when there's a guy he prays for in, in Mark chapter 8. Uh, this guy had somehow lost his eyes, kind of poked out somehow. And so Jesus confronts that, speaks kingdom wholeness into that, puts his hands on the guy's eyes or eye sockets, and then stops and asks the guy, can you see? Can you see? And the guy says, well, kind of. I see people kind of walking around like tree stumps. It's kind of bizarre, but apparently he just saw like, like, like blobs or something. Now, Jesus doesn't say, uh, well, you, you must lack faith. Where's your faith? You know? Jesus doesn't say, don't confess that. You start confessing your healing right here, right now. He doesn't, he doesn't tell the guy to do that. But nor does he say, well, this is just God's perfect plan for your life. What he does, he, he just says, let's go back at it. And, and, and uh, uh, praise for the guy once again. The world's a complex place. There's a lot of variables that affect what comes to the past, and we know next to none of that. So you just walk in obedience, and he confronts that stuff. But he doesn't ever ask people to uh, pretend that something is the case when it's not the case. We're called to be real. So there's four rather serious mistakes, I believe, that this movement tends to make. But there is one very important truth that these sincere folks have hit on. 
And it's a, folks, it's a truth that many of us have missed partly because we've overreacted against the error. The truth is this. When we're submitted to God's reign, we have authority to speak kingdom wholeness into all that is broken and to do it in Jesus' name. Which means what we believe about our own authority that's been given to us and what we speak with authority is vitally important in determining how much of the kingdom will be manifested in us and how much of the kingdom will be manifested through us. We got to get honest here. Uh, We talk to ourselves all the time. We talk to others all the time. And a lot of what we talk is, uh, to use the technical Greek term, it is crap. It is deception. It is lies. It's putrid. We got a lot of junk in our tongue, internal and external. People walk around saying, I can't help it. That's just the way I am. I was born this way. I'll never kick this addiction. My dad was right. I'm an idiot. My marriage is always going to suck. I bet my kids are going to grow up to be the losers that I am. And and I'm worthless. And because of my past failures, I can only be a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. It's garbage, 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 crab, delusion, lies. And every ounce of it clogs the kingdom. Amen. It blocks that kingdom authority. And we speak crap and delusion and lies about other people. We have a running commentary in our brain. I can't believe what a slutty outfit that girl's wearing. Obviously, what kind of attention she wants to get. Oh, that person really needs that third quarter pounder with cheese. Oh, what kind of a parent has got? That is disgusting. The problem with America is people like that. (laughs) As though we were the righteous judges of the earth. And he says, pollution, 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 and all of it dilutes the authority that God has given to us. James 3, listen to this now. James 3, verses 4 and 5 tell us that the tongue, this little tiny thing, the tongue, it's so small compared to the rest of our bodies, but it is like the rudder of a ship. It steers the direction of the whole thing. So if you have got crap and delusion and lies on your internal tongue and your external tongue, you're going to have crap, delusion, and lies in your life. Because the ship goes where the rudder points it. We wonder why we're not growing and why we don't have the capacity to love people and why our life is just so mediocre and why God doesn't feel right to us. Why is our ship going in the wrong direction? Well, we might want to pay a little bit of attention to the rudder. The rudder. For you pod parishioners, I just stung my tongue out in the entire congregation. Uh, you know, folks, folks, we, some of us, some of us, many of us, I think, need a lobotomy in our brain and some mouthwash in our mouth to wash out all the pollution that is there and all the stuff that we're saying inside and outside because our one job as kingdom people is to use our kingdom authority to bring the kingdom into this oppressed, screwed up, and broken apart world. And the place to start is with the tongue. The place to start and cleaning up the ship and getting it reoriented is with the rudder. What are we saying inside and what are we saying outside? The kingdom has got to get rooted in our brain and in our tongue if it's ever going to be rooted in our behavior and then in our circle of friends and in our kingdom communities and then in the world. This is kingdom 101. When you submit to God, you belong to God, which means when you submit to God, your brain belongs to God. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. And when you submit to God, your mouth belongs to God. You now have a Jesus mouth. He owns rights to the whole thing, which is why our talk, internal and external, has got to line up with uh, the the, the kingdom. And Jesus puts a lot of emphasis on that. 
There's one point in, in Matthew 12 where he says, people will have to give account on the day of judgment for every worthless word they have spoken. Every piece of garbage. It's all important. It either blocks the kingdom or releases the kingdom. And you find that kind of emphasis on speaking throughout the entire Bible. Kingdom people, we have to remember that God has given us authority to manifest the kingdom in the way that we think and the way that we speak, and our job is to use it. Under the reign of God, and in Jesus' name, we're to use our thought and to use our mouth to proclaim all that is true and consistent with the reign of God and to confront all that is deceptive and inconsistent with the reign of God. And this isn't about grabbing hold of a magical formula that's going to help you get the American dream. It's not about grabbing hold of a magical formula that collapses all the other variables of uh, creation. It's not never about pretending that things are different than the way they actually are. Don't hear me as suggesting that we should be rebuking a demon behind every headache and every car problem and every computer glitch. And I don't want anybody hearing me to be saying that this is all kingdom people are supposed to do. Uh, as though in a person who comes to you who's hungry, you're, you, you're, you've done your job by just thinking blessing towards them and, and, and speaking blessing towards them. The book of James tells us that if someone comes to you who's hungry, uh, then if you don't go out of your way and sacrifice for them to feed them, well, then all the blessing in the world is worthless. Your faith is dead. No, we have to act as well. But we'll never get around to really acting aggressively and consistently with the kingdom unless we first are getting the kingdom in the way that we speak to ourselves and the way that we speak to others. The kingdom starts with the words, internal and external. Our words either release kingdom authority or they clog kingdom authority. And the whole New Testament is there to tell us, release it, don't clog it. So when you or somebody else is afflicted with sickness, disease, or something else, unless God directs you to do otherwise, and sometimes he does. He says, let go of that one for right now. There's things that you don't know, let it go. But our default setting should be to confront it in Jesus' name. Remember the authority that you have in Christ. Imitate Jesus by, by speaking against anything in the spiritual realm that might be influencing this infirmity. And then imitate Jesus by speaking wholeness and healing, uh, the, the bringing the kingdom into your life or the life of the person that you're with. If you need to call a doctor, call a doctor. There's no shame in that. God can use doctors, of course. But don't forget the authority that you have in Christ. And when you or somebody else is afflicted with some other kind of bondage, uh, an addiction, a behavioral disorder or something, you or somebody who has invited you into their life to, to address that, remember the authority that you have in Christ. Uh, speak against anything that is in the spiritual realm that might be influencing this, the, the, this bondage that is there, and then speak kingdom wholeness and freedom and liberation into your life or the life of the person that has invited you to speak into it. And if you need counseling, get counseling. Uh, there's no, that's a wonderful way that God uses to bring truth into our life, but don't forget the authority that you have in Christ. And kingdom people, when you become aware of lies in your own brain, however true they may feel, they're lies. If they're not consistent with, with uh, uh, what God has revealed to be true about you in Jesus Christ, when you become aware of those lies in your brain, agree with God and speak truth. Uh, remember the authority that you have in Christ. Imitate Jesus by coming against anything in the spiritual realm that might be influencing you holding on to those lies. And then you begin to proclaim truth, the truth of who you are in Christ. Whatever other voice you have going on in your head, you say, say it out loud, proclaim it with authority. I am a child of God. 
I've been bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. I have, uh, I'm clean and I'm holy in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus and I am in Christ Jesus. I'm a child of the King. I'm a friend of God. I'm a warrior of Jesus Christ. I'm filled with His Spirit. I'm sitting with Christ in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers. I don't fear demons and I don't fear the principalities and powers. God has not given to me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control and perfect love casts out all fear. And I'm filled with love and I'm filled with God's peace and I'm filled with God's confidence. I'm filled with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Know who you are in Christ and say it and confront the lies that are there. And it's good to surround yourself. In fact, it's necessary to surround yourself with a community of people who speak truth into your life. And if you need to get counseling to get over some of the bondages that are there, well, then by all means, get it. But remember your authority in Christ. And when you come upon strangers, you see a stranger mowing the lawn, uh, you're checking out of the grocery store, and the clerk is right there in front of you, you're driving on the highway, and somebody cuts you off. Remember your authority in Christ. Remember your call in Christ, our one job. Unless someone invites us in to speak into their life, our one job is to agree with God about them. And that has been spoken decisively on Calvary. They were worth Jesus dying for. The only thought you need to have about strangers is that thought. They were worth Jesus dying for. And so remember your authority and agree with God with your tongue, internal and external, and purge away everything that your brainwashed, fallen brains been conditioned to think about their lifestyle and about the way they dress and whatever else you might notice about them. No, you just put that aside and you say, God, I agree with you that that person was worth dying for. They have unsurpassable worth. I proclaim that Jesus died for them and they are loved by God. And then use your authority as a kingdom person to speak blessing into their life. I speak blessing in their life and wholeness in their life. Lord, I speak driving skills into their life. (laughs) That's all right. Uh, you know, you notice stuff, so you speak blessing into it, but, but it's about, and the thing is this, that is not just bringing the kingdom into your life, it is actually bringing the kingdom into their life. You've got authority to make that moment, that encounter, a slice of heaven, a slice of the coming kingdom, and, and, and now their life will be somewhat more kingdomized than it was before you spoke that. And our one job is to be the conduits of blessing to the entire world. Just agree with God about that person, this person. And if the opportunity opens up for you to manifest their worth in other ways, take it. And it can be as, something as simple as a smile, calling them by name, or it can be something where you offer to sacrifice some of your time and resources to help them in a situation that they're in. You're ascribing worth to them, but you, we proclaim the kingdom, we think the kingdom, we surrender our brains to the king, we surrender our tongues to the king. And so I want to ask the Holy Spirit right now for everybody listening in this congregation, everybody listening on podcasts or television or whatever, take a moment now and open yourself up to the Holy Spirit. And let's ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal to us ways in which our internal and external tongue has not been submitted. All right? May let's start simple. How was the tongue use this morning? Uh, Did you think and speak untruth this morning? And this isn't about getting indicted or shamed. There's no point in that. This is about getting accurate. Let's know it's true. You can never correct the rudder of your ship unless you acknowledge that it's not, it's crooked right now. It's, It's going the wrong direction. So how's your rudder doing? How's your rudder doing? 
Holy Spirit, help us be honest and to see this. And then will you just right here and right now, as you're seeing stuff, God calls you to commit to moving in a different direction, to correct that rudder. Will you surrender your thoughts over to Jesus Christ? And Holy Spirit, will you remind us and empower us to think only kingdom thoughts, whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are lovely. Philippians 4.8 says, think on those things. That's talking. You're talking to yourself. But every person we see, to have no other thought than that they are worth Jesus dying for. And will you surrender your physical tongue to him? Holy Spirit, empower us to be vigilant about how we use the authority of our words. And then will you commit to using the authority that you have in Christ to proclaim what is true and speak against everything in the world that is inconsistent with the reign of God, following the example of Jesus. Holy Spirit, help us to be a slice of the coming kingdom, to manifest heaven on earth right now, to put aside everything which won't be in heaven and to cultivate everything that will be in heaven and to commit to doing that. And before I dismiss this, I want to ask us all to stand, and I'd like the prayer team to come forward here. I want to, I want to do one more thing. Uh, prayer team, come forward, and I want to encourage the prayer team to practice what I just preached uh, by speaking truth and wholeness into these people's lives. You have the authority to speak against. It feels weird if you've never done it before. I know it. To, but to re Jesus rebuked illnesses, and that may seem weird to you, but, but we're to follow his example. And so I encourage you guys to be speaking truth. It's okay to ask God to be doing it, but also speak into their life. And I want to end by practicing what I just preached, by proclaiming what is true. You are people that are, have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. He paid an unsurpassable price for you. And I declare that you are kingdom people. I declare that the spirit of God is inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I declare that you're capable of much more than you probably ever dreamed. I declare that the power of God and the anointing of God is on your life. I declare that in, in you is a river of living water that is waiting to just gush your forth. I declare that you are filled with the love of God and the peace of God that passes all understanding and the joy of God that, 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 that can't be spoken. It's, it, it's unspeakable. And I declare that you're a child a friend of God, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, and that God wants to use you to be a conduit of blessing to every person you see on the road, in your neighborhood, in your block, in your family. And I declare that with that anointing, we go out to change the world and sow seeds of the kingdom in his name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Go forth. Speak the kingdom.